All right, let's go ahead and take our Bibles and go to Luke chapter 21. In Luke chapter 21, and I have to admit, I, I spent most of this week trying to get out of this just because uh, where we're at in Matthew chapter 24, we're tying up some loose ends, and that's not uh, always something a preacher wants to do. A preacher always wants his nice, neat, clean four points and a poem and uh, something that homiletically makes a lot of sense. Brother Russ, good to see you. Brother Fulcher's here with us today. How are things in D.C.? Everything's going great, right? All right. <laughs> we got a thumbs up from Brother Fulcher, so all is good in D.C. We don't have to worry. <laughs> okay. Um, but we're just going to tie up some loose ends on, on some of these thoughts here. And keep your hand there in Luke chapter 21. But then I'm going to ask you to turn to Revelation chapter 19. Because we're going to look at a verse there just to remind ourselves of a few things. We need to be reminded from time to time. Peter said one time, I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. By way of remembrance. They said that the Protestant Reformation took in Scotland like it took in very few other places because of the repetition of the preaching, reinforcing and reminding the people of certain important doctrines. And uh, verse 10, Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, John says, And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not. This is the angel that came to him. He says, I am thy fellow servant, and I the brethren that have the testimony of Jesus worship God. And then this last phrase here, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of what? Now, when, when people see that word, they either get excited, and I think as a Bible-believing Christian, we should be excited. Prophecy is a gift from the Lord. It's a gift. Uh, one of the things that God says throughout his Bible is that he compares himself favorably against the false gods because he can tell you what's going to happen. And you read the book of Isaiah where the Lord is challenging Israel because they're, they're worshiping stones and wooden gods. And, you know, he tries to reason with them. At one point he says, look, a guy cuts down a tree. He puts part of it in the fire. Part of it he heats his home with. Part of it he cooks with. And then he makes a god out of it. Okay? How much? I mean, he's trying to explain. Does that make any sense? And it doesn't. And so... And then another thing he tells them, among others, is he says, look, have one of these gods tell you what's going to happen. And of course they can't. And then he talks about prophecy and how he gives them prophecy. So it's a gift. It's a gift. It's a source of encouragement. It's a source of comfort. So some people get excited. Some people shy away from it because they've heard some of the kookiness, okay? And a lot of times people think of prophets. They think of a Nostradamus and things like that, and some guy that can predict the future, or, or somebody with a crystal ball, and, and things of that nature. That's not real, that's not real prophecy. That's certainly not Bible prophecy. Um, a lot of those guys, if you flipped a coin, you'd be right as often as they are. Okay, so they're really not prophets, not in the biblical sense of the word. So some people shy away from the subject, but I, I want us to look at this verse because it says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, you look at that phrase, the testimony of Jesus, 
Uh, what, what is John telling us there? Well, it, it, it works both ways. It's, it's a two-sided coin here. For one thing, when you tell somebody about Jesus Christ, you are prophesying. Why do I say that? Well, you explain to them that if they will receive Christ as their personal Savior, their sins will be forgiven. That's prophecy. Then you're saying God will give you eternal life. That's prophecy. And then someday you'll spend eternity with him where? In heaven instead of hell. And that is prophecy. Okay? So just the preaching of the gospel alone is a prophetic thing. But, but then the other side of that is that prophecy testifies to the testimony of Jesus. It, it, it works back to the testimony of Jesus and validates the story of the gospel. And let me encourage you, because uh, as we've already studied, we realize that when, you, when it comes to prophecy and eschatology, the study of end time things, there are some things that are very clear. We know Christ is coming back. Amen? All right. And, and we know there's going to be a millennial reign. Christ is going to rule and reign for a thousand years. These things are clear and spelled out over and over and again for us. But we also understand that in some ways we see through a glass darkly. And, and for that reason, don't get worried about, you know, there's all kinds of talk, you know, will the church know who the Antichrist is? Will the church not know who the Antichrist is? I got to be honest with you. Maybe I, sh I shouldn't feel this way, but I don't care. Okay? <laughs> I'm looking for Jesus every morning when I get up. Okay? I'm not looking for the Antichrist. Now, if we're supposed to know who he is and we do know who he is, all right, okay. But I wouldn't worry about all that because some of the details, in fact, most of the details, we're going to see through a glass darkly. Now, I said all that to say this. There is enough in there, though, when you meet unsaved people that are looking around them today and they're saying, what is going on? Okay. How many, has met, how many of you have met somebody in the last month that basically had that attitude? You met somebody, they didn't know the Lord, but they were asking the, the question, what's going on, okay? Hey, folks, it's time to take them to the Bible and just say, look, God said it would be this way. And take them to Revelation chapters 13 and 14. And, and you don't have to provide details. We don't know a lot of the details, but God said the world's going to go that way. There's going to be one world government uh, there's going to be rich men that basically take over, uh, the book of James says. And, and, and it just goes on and on. In fact, I mean, look, I, I, I don't dial into the news too much anymore because I like to have a nice day. But, but the Bible does say that the, the, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. It was working in Paul's day. And it just accelerates. And, and we got to understand, you're, you're not... You're not looking for flesh and blood here. Too often, it, we're looking for the, the, the wise and the house through flesh and blood. Uh, the Bible says there's a, there's a spirit uh, in, in this age that is accelerating because sometimes you look around and you go, how, how did they come to that? I think the latest one, just the last couple weeks, uh, the White House is mandating that... Uh, uh, the way I put it is that we need to put a pair of sunglasses on the earth. Okay? We're going to filter out the sun's rays so we can cool off the earth. Boy, that sounds like a great idea. And you say, where, where, 
how could anybody rationally say that's a good idea? It's, it's the mystery of iniquity. They just, there's, there's a spirit uh, that drives this kind of stuff. And, uh, of course, you know, you know, we're having this climate emergency and we're all going to die in the next 11 months if they don't do something. And so, you know, thousands and thousands of planes are going to spray millions, that's what they, they're saying, millions of tons of some sort of chemical out there and, and block out the sun's rays, not unlike the way uh, volcanoes change the climate worldwide when you have a major volcano erupt. There's just one little problem. Have you ever studied historically what happens after that? The, 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 all, all of the, the cycles for growing seasons get disrupted, and there's famine at the lower end of the food chain, and people starve. And, and back in the day when there was so much talk about mutually assured destruction, they talked about the nuclear what? Winter. When all that debris would block out the sun and all the havoc it would wreak. And you look at that and you go, who in their right mind would even want to attempt that? Because if they did succeed, it, it could be disastrous. And you look at all that and you wonder, what's behind that? The Bible says it's the mystery of iniquity. In other words, mankind has lost its mind, folks. And, and it's a spirit that's working toward the Antichrist. So when he shows up, the world will just bow and, 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 and fall down before him and, and worship. So uh, we have these things in the word of God and just little bits and pieces, just small things that you and I take for granted like just the fact there's going to be an antichrist, there's going to be a tribulation period, and then talk to him about how Jesus is going to come and take his church out before that. And, and, and talk to him about becoming part of the church. Most of the people you meet out there don't know that. And you can share that with them, and you can bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I think it's a wonderful time to live in. I think it's exciting. And so let's look at Luke chapter 21 and remind ourselves of something else as well here. Starting in verse 9. And this is, this is companion to Matthew 24. And starting in verse 9, he says, But when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified. For these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. Then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. Now, according to the book of Jeremiah, the tribulation period is Jacob's trouble. So he's speaking to these Jewish disciples in that context. And what is it about Jacob's trouble that God is going to do? He's going to bring Israel and turn their heart back toward him when Jesus returns at the second advent. Now, short of an absolute miracle, to go to Israel and, and, and talk to Jewish people there, or most Jewish people all around the world who don't know Christ, you'd say, wow, you mean a, a whole nation Turn, that, that nation turning their heart back to Jesus, who they rejected at his first coming. Yes, that's what's going to happen. And it's called Jacob's trouble. So he's speaking to them in this context. And he says in verse 11, And great earthquakes shall be in divers' places, in famines, and pestilences, and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, and deliver you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And 
as incredible as it sounds, and with all the evidence of the Holocaust, anti-Semitism is on the rise in our country. It's on the rise in Europe, not only in the Middle East and the Arab countries. It's on the rise worldwide. So he warns him of this. And he says in verse 13, And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it therefore in your hearts, verse 14, not to meditate before what ye shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. And ye shall be betrayed, <clears throat> both by parents and brethren and kinsfolks and friends. And some of you shall they cause to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But there shall not an hair of your head perish. I think it's interesting how the Lord puts it here. In verse 18, he talks about not a hair of their head perishing. But in verse 16, he says at the end of the verse, some will be put to death. Some will be put to death. <clears throat> you know what? God doesn't look at us dying and going to heaven as the worst thing that could happen to us. He doesn't look at it that way. Now look at verse 19, and this is where I want to park for a second as we move forward. And like I said, tying up some loose ends in Matthew 24 as we finish this lesson up. He says, in your patience, possess ye your souls. As a pastor, that verse right there probably capsulates more than anything else why I've wanted to take us down this road and study this material and, and go to this chapter that really talks more about the tribulation period and the return of Christ after that, the second advent, than anything else. is because I know this, and I, I believe you know this as well. All of this isn't going to start like somebody flipping a switch. What we see in the book of Revelation, what we see in Matthew chapter 24, what we see here in Luke chapter 21, there's a, a gradual transition toward it. And we are seeing it right now. We are not in the tribulation period. I believe the church will be taken out before that starts. But that doesn't mean that everything is going to be rosy and wonderful and Pollyanna. And then all of a sudden we get raptured out and then everything just goes into the tank immediately. There is, there is a transitioning into that. And so as we look around us, that's what's going on, folks. That's what's going on. Um, I, I get concerned when people get, when Christians get over-concerned about conspiracies. Yes, I believe there is a conspiracy. I think there's a massive conspiracy. And the main conspirator over this massive conspiracy is Satan himself. And it's laid out for us here in the Word of God. Satan, in spite of the fact that he has no chance at all, is still trying to overthrow God. That's what the battle of Armageddon is at the end of the tribulation period. He gathers all the armies of the world to come against Christ because the devil, he's a Bible scholar. He knows the word of God. When he tempted Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, what did he use? He didn't quote the Koran. He didn't quote the Baha'u'llah Gita's. He quoted scripture. Or rather, he misquoted it. But that's what he used. And he knows what's coming. And he is still trying to defeat the Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, this is what's going on. And, and so, we, we see the world heading this direction. And, and we as Christians, don't worry about the story behind the story. 
the story is enough. The story is enough. And the Lord tells us, in patience, possess ye your souls. I'm watching Christians, and I'm talking to other pastors and evangelists all over the country, and I believe it's true worldwide as well. As, as things are getting more and more chaotic around us, Christians are getting more and more distracted. And so how do we stay focused? We stay focused through the lens of the Word of God. What am I to think about what's going on around me in my society where people are talking about mutilating little children and taking boys and trying to turn them into girls and girls turning them into boys? And uh, I saw an interview. It, it was the most bizarre thing. I mean, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have believed it. But it, was a, it looked like a man. And he had a beard, and, and he looked as masculine as any man. But then when he started talking, he sounded like a distraught woman. And that's what he was. And he had gone through all this transition and all this mutilation and all this hormone replacement, and he was lamenting and, and, and literally crying that it's hard to be a man because men are loners, and I don't have all this... Uh, lady camaraderie, and I'm just going to say it the best way I know because I don't understand it. I, I don't do the lady camaraderie. I see it. I don't do it. And I don't understand it. I know all the words. Cute, precious, adorable, and fun. <laughs> I don't even know what they mean <laughs> in that context. <laughs> but that's what this woman, I am going to call her, with the beard, see how confusing it gets? Was just literally crying that she felt lonely because nobody told me it's lonely to be a man. <sighs> What's going on? The mystery of iniquity doth already work. And by the way, that simple little illustration, that simple little illustration could help a lot of your conservative friends to be more open to listening to the gospel. Just show them where Jesus said, God in the beginning made them male and female. Not a profound thought, is it really? Necessarily, we wouldn't have thought, but these days, it is. And we see the craziness going on around us, and, and Christians are getting a little unhinged. And all we need to do is just look at it through the lens of the Bible, and in patience possess our souls and remember something, the marching orders haven't changed. The Great Commission is still the main objective of the church and of our families and of every individual believer to get the gospel out to a lost and dying world. And like I said, I believe the opportunities are more abundant than they've ever been because of the very circumstances that tend to to unhinge so many. Don't worry about the story behind the story. Just look at the story and show them from the Word of God. Let's go back to Matthew 24 now. And like I said, we're going to be all over the place here. This is not going to be a homiletical uh, work of art by any means. But uh, just want to tie up some loose ends, put a bow on things, and, and, and cover some things that, that we haven't been able to talk about. And we left off... We left off at verse uh, 29, 
verse 29. And you'll notice, uh, in fact, Jesus even references here the secretiveness versus that which is open. When he says in verse 26, he says, Wherefore, if they say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And uh, by the way, when the Lord takes the church out, it will be obvious to us. We'll be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. We'll meet the Lord in the air and forever be with the Lord in heaven. But the world, they're not going to know what happened. And they're going to be scratching their heads and wondering what's going on. And then the world be plunged into Daniel's 70th week, the seven-year period of tribulation. So he says here, he says in verse 28, he says, um, or verse 29, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever uh, the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. And we read in the book of Revelation, and, and, and when you study war and you study the nature of war, uh, many times there's as many people die in famine as a result of war. And disease is a result of dead bodies all over the place. And, and when the battle of Armageddon is over with, there's going to be dead bodies strewn all over the place, and God has a solution. He's going to use birds of prey. He's going to use scavengers to clean up the mess here. And he says, for wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. And, you know, we could cross-reference that to the book of Revelation. But look at verse 29. And this is where I want to park for a few minutes this morning before we close. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. Okay, there's, there's your sunglasses on the earth. By the way, God is able to do that. God is able to do that. You know, I think some of these billionaires like Bill Gates, and that, I think they just have too much money. They don't know what to do with it. Oh, yeah, I think I'll block out the sun. Really? Why don't you stick to software? Why don't you stick to software, okay? Uh, spend some time with your grandkids. Leave the rest of us alone, okay? <laughs> uh, but, but God can do that if he wants. And verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. The powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Take your Bibles, keep your hand here, please, and go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And Ephesians chapter 6 is familiar to most of us that have been saved any length of time. In this portion of Scripture, we read about the armor of God. And the first century Roman foot soldier is described with all of his armor. And the Lord tells us here in verse 12, before he talks about all that armor we're to put on, he gives us the reason we should have it on. And of course, it's spiritual armor. It's not physical. Because the Bible says in verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. All right, so again, what's the Lord telling us here? Don't look for flesh and blood answers. Realize there is a spirit of this age, the mystery of iniquity, and even now, individually, us, 
as we serve the Lord, uh, we had this skit over with the kids. They had, they had the flesh was a bad guy and the world was a bad guy and the devil was a bad guy and all these temptations and all of these pulls and we've all experienced it. And what is that about? That is spiritual warfare. And we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Folks, that's not kings and queens. That's not parliaments. Uh, that's, not, uh, that's not prime ministers, folks. That is, that is spiritual authority against spiritual wickedness. Where? In high places. You say, wow. Then then there's a spiritual dimension to everything around us. Not, it's not just what we see and touch and feel and experience with our natural senses. There's another whole dimension. And that's what's being emphasized here. Now, in, in Matthew 24, he talks about those powers being shaken and falling. Take your Bibles and go to the book of Daniel. And again, keep your hand there in Matthew 24. And go to the book of Daniel and Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. Ezekiel and then Daniel, Daniel chapter 10. And Daniel's been praying. He's been looking for some answers to some prayers. And he gets a visitation from an angel. And in verse 12, the Bible says in verse 12, Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, Thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. Now watch verse 13. Watch verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. All right? Now, folks, he's not talking about a flesh and blood king sitting on a throne wearing a gold crown on his head. He's talking about something else. And notice that this guy is called the prince of the kingdom of Persia. This spiritual wickedness, this entity of whatever sort it is, is responsible for Persia, which implicates there's one for Media, there's one for Babylon, there's one for Israel. Oh, and now there's probably one or more or whatever, however it all works, for the United States. And for England. Oh, and by the way, the one in France is really raking a, a lot of havoc right now. And, and, and so he says here, the, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. But lo, watch this now, Michael, one of the chief princes, or there's My, Michael the archangel, best we can tell, came to help me. And I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. Let's go back to Matthew 24 and look at verse 29. And now look at that verse and think to yourself, the sun will be darkened after the tribulation. The moon's not going to give her light. The stars shall fall from heaven. By the way, stars in the book of Revelation are oftentimes what? Angels. Okay. Someone said about that passage, some unbeliever said, oh, you know, all the stars in heaven couldn't fall on the earth and burn up the earth before. That's not what he's referencing. And, and, and so he goes on further to say, and the powers of the heavens shall be 
shaken. Uh, Jesus said one time, he said, I beheld Satan uh, falling as lightning from heaven. You know what I'm looking forward to, folks? I am looking forward to when heaven and earth will be cleansed of all evil influence. I mean, folks, during the millennium, the devil's going to be, he, he's going to be bound in a bottomless pit. And then after the great white throne judgment and after God wraps everything up after the millennial reign of Christ, he is going to throw Satan and all of his cohorts into the lake of fire. Jesus, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, has the keys of hell and death. He's going to lock that door. And they're not coming out again. I'm looking forward to that, folks. I'm looking forward. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to when there, there, will, there will be no necessity for spiritual warfare anymore because there won't be any of those evil forces anywhere around. Not for any individual Christian. Not deceiving lost people like they do now. Deceiving God's people like they do now. Tempting and pressuring destroying homes, destroying communities, destroying churches, destroying nations, turning people against God. I am looking forward to when that is all over with, folks. And what you're looking at at verse 29 is the beginning of the end for Satan. And the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. God is going to shake that crowd right to the core. Uh, folks, there'll be no more talk of men and their wealth controlling others for wrong or for self or for ambition. Um, I was, I, I taught you there recently on, um, on the um, Christian and boycotts. And I, I kiddingly said to you the Sunday before that Wednesday, we were going to study first and second, the books of first and second boycott. You remember that? Yeah, we talked about that. But remember, we talked about how, you know, you look, you look at these corporations and, and, they're, and they're doing things to almost uh, cut their own throats with all this woke nonsense. And, and we talked about uh, some of those uh, large financial operations like BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street. Uh, I made the mistake of say, saying it was, it was uh, these, these people are dealing with tens of millions. No, they're dealing with tens of trillions of dollars. And all uh, and, and, and James talks about woe unto you rich men. Let's go look at it here. Keep your hand here and go to James. And we'll get back to this. Because when you get to the book of Revelation, God has a lot to say about that in Revelation chapter 17 and 18. He has a lot to say about that. And, and all I'm saying here is there's a trend. We can see it. Multi-billionaires. Uh, there's a couple of these guys that are on the edge of becoming trillionaires. And they wield all this power sometimes even over governments. And you say, what's going on? It's just an end time thing. It's just an end time thing. Look at James chapter 5 verse 1. He says, go to now, you rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. For your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. And the gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you. And shall eat your flesh as it were. You have heaped together. You have heaped treasure together for the what? Last days for the last days now you say wow there's a trend there's a trend keep your hand here in matthew 24 and let's go to revelation chapter 17 i told you we're going to be all over the place here revelation chapter 17 
just take one or two of these little things and, and look at them, meditate on them, stash them away, make a little note, stuff it in your Bible. And I guarantee you this week, if you'll pray about it, you'll find an unsafe person you can talk to about it. An unsafe person that's looking around them going, what is going on? It looks like the world's become unhinged. You can say, yes, it has. And here's what the Bible says about it. All right, look at Revelation chapter 17. Revelation 17, verse 1. And, and there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed <coughs> fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me uh, away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of the abomination and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Do you know the reformers during the Protestant Reformation did not hesitate to identify this as the Church of Rome? Well, but these days, these days, oh no, preacher, you said what? <laughs> You're going to get canceled. Folks, it's unmistakable. It's unmistakable. If you've ever been to the Mass, you've seen the golden cup. You've heard the blasphemy. And if you study church history, this church is drunk with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus Christ. That's why when John... Hey, hey if, if, if the Lord would have shown John a vision of imperial Rome, drunk with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus Christ, he wouldn't have wondered about that. That, that was common knowledge in the first century. Imperial Rome was slaughtering Christians. He was in exile because of that. But no... He's looking at a church that professes to be the bride of Christ that God calls a whore. And in the name of Christ, it is drunk with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus Christ. And don't kid yourself, it still opposes the true gospel of Christ today in 2023. Ask any missionary that goes to a Catholic country where the priests run the villages and see if the priest helps him get the gospel of the grace of God to those poor people, or whether he resists. And in Revelation chapter 17, the Bible talks about the demise of religious Babylon, but then you get to chapter 18. And I wish we had the time, and we don't, because we got to wrap this up and close. But Revelation chapter 18, he talks about the demise of commercial Babylon. Listen, folks. If you've, ever been, if you've ever heard the news and, and just it, it aggravated you that it seemed that, 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 that wealthy movers and shakers seem to want to run our lives and, and do all the worst possible things with that money, sometimes even with good intentions, fear not, God's going to dismantle the whole thing. He's going to dismantle the whole thing. Revelation chapter 18. And Revelation 17 is the demise of religious Babylon. 
Revelation 18 is the demise of commercial Babylon. And Jesus is going to bring a kingdom to this world for 1,000 years. When he reigns as a beloved, benevolent monarch. Folks, there won't be any elections. There won't be any elections. It's not going to be about the Republican Party. It's not going to be about the Democratic Party. It's not going to be about the independents. It's not uh, going to be about moving the undecideds in the middle one way or another. He's just coming with a rod of iron, and he is taking over. And he's going to set this tired, old, sinful world right for 1,000 years. Folks, think about it. There's going to be two things gone. There's going to be two things gone that trouble us. Our big enemies are the flesh, the world, and the devil. And during the millennium, the devil is going to be bound in the bottomless pit for 1,000 years. His influence is going to be restrained for those 1,000 years. And, and, and the world is going to be swimming in righteousness instead of swimming in evil as Paul described this world as this present evil world, it's going to be just the opposite. And so uh, the, the, the devil is bound. The world is made right. Now, unfortunately, there's still one left, the old flesh. And you get to the end of the millennium, and when the devil is loosed from his prison, he finds some people that after a thousand years of peace and prosperity and equity and wonderfulness they just can't take it anymore <laughs> and they rebel against the lord jesus christ only this time god doesn't even mess around with the battle of armageddon it's it's gog and magog and he just sends fire from heaven <laughs> turns them all into potato chips one shot bang microwave over with but folks we got, to, we, got to, we got to wrap it up now. We got to close it. Revelation chapter 24. Let's finish up here. Let's go back there. And notice verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Folks, at the rapture of the church, people aren't going to know what happened. They're not going to have any idea how it is that all these millions of people are gone. And if you stop and think of it, there's going to be some pretty bizarre scenarios. I mean, there's going to be airplanes flown with a Christian co-pilot and a Christian pilot. Guess what's going to happen? <laughs> there's going to be a lot of people in the air without a pilot. Um, there's going to be automobiles where people are taken out immediately and they're going to be, it's going to be chaotic. And, and I believe this, you do what you want with this, but part of the great deception that the Antichrist will, will, will put upon the world is, is he'll have his explanation for all that. It might even go something like this. Hey, I got rid of all those troublesome born-again Christians. I, I remember during the, during the days of the moral majority in the 80s, when, uh, when, that, when that group helped get Ronald Reagan elected, I saw an article in Time Magazine that said, some are born too often. 
And uh, he was talking about, you know, the morality of born-again Christians and trying to force these things on the rest of us and all that other kind. You know what I think the Antichrist might do? He might just say, hey, I got rid of them for you. Now we can all come together with real diversity. Hmm? That bunch that was saying that Jesus is the only way, and if you don't trust him, you'll go to hell. How negative and how hateful is that? Let's all come together in love. One world religion, one world government, one world finances. And oh, by the way, just take this little mark and you can have a job and you can buy and you can sell and life will be real convenient for you. But you know what? When Jesus comes back at the second advent, the Bible says every eye shall see him. And guess what? If you're saved here this morning, you're coming back with him. You're coming back with him. Folks, nothing's out of control. Nothing's really chaotic because God is sovereign. And in his word, prophetically, he told us these things were going to happen. And Jesus comforts his disciples right there when they ask him those questions. And he comforts us this morning and he says, In patience, possess ye your souls. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we thank you that Jesus is coming back. He said he would, and Lord, the signs of the times are there, Lord, the things that point to his soon return. We ask, Father, that as we leave this place today, we might be energized to tell a world about a wonderful Savior. And Lord, we pray for anybody looking in or in this building this morning that doesn't know Christ. Lord, that this might be the day of days for them. They, not, they might know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They might come to him. They might say yes to him. We thank you for so many that have been saved lately, how you've been moving in hearts, and we thank you that you are still in the soul-saving business. Father, help us that have lost relatives, co-workers, friends, neighbors, Help us, Lord. Help us to reach out in your love as an ambassador for Jesus Christ and tell them how Christ died on the, sin, on the cross for their sins. Thank you, Lord, that in August of 1973, you saved my soul. Next month, I will be saved 50 years, half a century of knowing you. And Lord, I'm no more saved today than I was the day I trusted you back then, and I'm no less saved. In spite of so many errors, so many sins, so many things that I should know better, but you're so patient, you're so wonderful, you're so kind, you're so merciful to your children, and you've been that way to me. Help us to walk with you today from this place. Help us to be mindful of those around us without Christ. Please give us those opportunities and give us the courage and the boldness to use those opportunities to tell others about a wonderful Savior. We thank you, Father, that you're in control. You're a sovereign God. In spite of all the lawlessness around us, you are a sovereign God. And you are in control of all these things, Lord. And, and you prophesied these things before they even started happening. And we pray this morning with the Apostle John at the end of the book of Revelation. We pray, even so calm, 
Lord Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 588. Number 588. Brother Andrus back there, would you come on up here and, and close us in a word of prayer? And Brother Andrus is here. He was part of the wedding yesterday. It's good to spend some time with him and have a little bit of fellowship. He pastors in the L.A. area, right? Is that a fair way to say it? Okay. Amen. All right, let's bow our heads for prayer. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for what we heard this morning. And thank you for this precious book that gives us an insight to what the future holds and we can prepare for it, we can be ready for it. I pray God that the oil we got today would help our lamps to burn bright, help us to be lights in this, in the midst of this dark world. I pray God that you just take this message today and might it bear fruit that would be pleasing to you and that would last forever. Thank you for this family, Lord, that's joining the church today and pray God that you would uh, just be with them, help them to grow and know more and more about you and have a, a better walk with you than ever. And we thank you for this great church and thank you for the blessing of being here and ask and offer this prayer now in Jesus' holy name. Amen.